0: We're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel 7, and I'll be the first reader, and then Caleb Renton is going to come up and read chapter 8. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, then the men of Kerja, uh, Jerem, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated, uh, consecrated Eleazar his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was the ark... So it was that the ark remained in Kerjoth, Jearim a long time. And it was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asherahs from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the... Baals and the Assaros, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lord the Lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the, children, so the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took his stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, "Thus far the Lord has helped us." So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord.
1: Chapter 8. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second Abijah. They were second. They were judges and Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways, they turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the king displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. But they have rejected me that I should that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said that this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his 50s We'll set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers. He will take the the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his chariot, to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his offerings, to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city.
2: Thank you, Jason and Caleb, for God's reading. I know it was a lengthy portion, but if there's anything going to be said this morning that is correct, it's the word of God. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful to be here this morning to remember thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for his great work on Calvary's cross for the salvation of our souls. We ask that his name would be glorified this morning. We ask for help as we open thy word to consider this passage, Lord. Reveal yourself to us, Father. If there's anything said that is not according to your will, I pray that the saints would forget what was said. In your Son's most precious name, amen. <clears throat> I apologize if I cough every now and then. I've been fighting a little bit of a cold. Uh, and we haven't been in the book of 1 Samuel for uh, a few weeks. So it would be just a quick refresher to realize where we're at at this point. The last time that we were in the book of Samuel, there was whole, that whole scenario with the Ark of the Lord. It was captured by the Philistines, the Israelites went up to battle with the wrong mentality. They grabbed the ark as a token of, of luck, essentially. And they battled against the, the Philistines. Um, and the, the, the ark was captured. There was a lot of scenarios that happened. So this was a very sad state of where the children of God would find themselves in. Uh, just to highlight some verses in chapter, in chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, and the word of the Lord was precious those days. It was rare, for there was no open vision. There was, there was corruption in the house of God. There was the high priest who wouldn't uh, uh, properly discipline his, his sons. And from that result, the, the ark of the Lord would be captured. Um, and the people would suffer a great defeat. And one day, over 30,000 men were defeated slain before the Philistines. And this is at the end, when the Lord himself would deal with the Philistines, the people, uh, the, the children of Israel would improperly try to deal with the Philistines in their own terms, treating the Ark of God as if it's something common, something that could be used as a token of luck for battle. And here, the Lord would deal with the Philistines. The Philistines captured this, this prized possession, the most uh, holy uh, vessel, article, that the children of Israel had. And, the, and you would read this this uh, line over and over when, when the Philistines had the ark, and the lo- hand of the Lord was heavy on the Philistines, the Lord would judge them, he would have his victory, not the way that he would have wanted to have the victory, but the Lord would, will have the victory and Here we get to this passage of Kirath jerim to, to this place, I should say, and uh, we, we read uh, really verse seven I mean chapter, chapter seven verse one is basically the end of the previous uh, thought or thought flow um, of where the story went so the ark came back to the men of Beshemesh, and fool, foolishly um, note how, what scripture actually phrases it it says that the inhabitants of Beshemesh when now they saw the ark and they were happy right but in verse 19 they did something foolish they looked inside the ark which was something that was forbidden and nonetheless uh, this specifically was Levites They knew the law of God. They knew how they they were to treat this holy vessel. And they would look upon it. And the Lord would be uh, enraged towards them. And he would smite a number of them. And they were discouraged. They didn't know what to do with the ark. So then they would reach out to their neighbors in Kerith jerim And they would gladly fetch up the ark. And and, um, in verse 1, it, were, it would read. We don't know much of about this Abinadab. I don't believe he's mentioned more in Scripture, or we don't even know if he's a Levite at this point. I'm assuming that he is a Levite, but that's just an assumption. It says that they consecrated his son and Eleazar. Uh, if you go back to the Book of Exodus and Leviticus, there's a proper uh, way when you're dealing with with the the holy things of God, specifically the most the most holy article, the most holy piece of furniture which is the ark and the, the priest the high priest himself would have to be consecrated so there's a chapter a chapter completely dedicated to the consecration of the priest so this shows how far how how uh, far off track the people of God were from the rules and regulations that God had laid out for them they were just in a horrid state um, and, the, and, and the people Jerem, it doesn't say anything bad about them, it says that it's, it seems from verse 1, it would seem to me that they did their due diligence to treat the Ark of God with respect. And it dwelt there for 20 years, we read. There's a very similar scenario. Uh, the Ark would dwell here, very sadly, for even more than this. this uh, it won't, the Ark wouldn't properly go, be taken back to the tabernacle until David would be king some 40-something years later. And he would, he would uh, with all his might, try to bring the Ark and he would do it in a sense not completely informed. He would use a cart instead of the Levites. And the Lord would punish him for that. But then he eventually would get it. He would read scripture and he would state, none of the Levites should touch the ark. But while there was that whole interaction, while David was trying to figure out a way to bring the ark of the Lord back to the tabernacle, it said again, that the, the ark of the Lord dwelt in the house of obed Again, we don't know much about this individual. But the Bible does say, say that the Lord bless. The house of Obed-Edom. There's something, there's a blessing when the presence of the Lord is in the congregation and there's just blessing for the saints. How true is that of today? If the Lord is amongst us, it's a blessed congregation. People are getting saved. People's lives, there's fruit and there's there's evidence of the, the Holy Spirit having work in each individual. But how is true the complete opposite when the Lord's presence is not there? You have Ichabod. All over again, and if, if you just need some help refreshing uh, with that whole uh, disaster plot to use the ark to get uh, victory over the Philistines, instead of using the god of the ark, the I guess the wisest person from the house of Eli was his daughter-in-law, and she would she would be great with child. Upon hearing the news that her husband was slain, that her father-in-law was 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 just collapsed and died, and that the ark of the Lord was taken. She would say she would uh, call the child Ichabod, saying the glory is departed from Israel. This is chapter four, verse twenty-one. And how sad of a state is that? And it's true nowadays. There'll be entire congregations, entire buildings, where they have strayed so far from the truth, so far from Scripture, so far from the doctrine that the Lord wants us to keep, that they have Ichabod in their congregation. The glory of the Lord is not there. It's just. It's just. A meeting of just people, and if the presence of the Lord is not there it's it's useless it's worthless. We have to be careful, saints, to not get to that Ichabod state in, in, in a sense of the word um, so in verse in verse one the people of the the children of Israel were uh still uh, their hearts were beginning to turn back to the Lord and it says Uh, that they lamented towards the Lord. Now, just a quick outline, just to keep in context of of the chapter. In verse 2, it says, the children lamented. They lamented for the Lord. Uh, Verses 3 through 4, a message of repentance. And amen, we need messages of repentance. Even today, verses 5 through 6, we have repentance and prayer. The importance of prayer, how we, me and my wife weren't here the last few weeks, but prayer. It's vital. It's vital to the church. Um, verses, uh, that, that was verse, verse 5 through 6. Verse 7 through 9, prayer and victory. Right? Samuel intercedes. Verses 10 through 11, there's the answered prayer. If there's repentance, if people's hearts are correct, there'll be answer to prayer. And then verse 12, there's a remembrance. And then the, the rest of the chapter, there's rest. There's rest. So as we consider verse 2. That the people's hearts were, again, after 20 years, what a consequence to pay. Instead of having the victory initially the way the Lord want, would want it, they had 20 years of lamenting. They were probably lamenting physically because they were devastated. The Philistines had came and they destroyed their cities. They had taken land from them. They probably destroyed the tabernacle itself. Maybe, that, maybe that's the reason why the Ark of the Lord wasn't brought to Shiloh. Um, but they had spiritual defeat. If you're spiritually defeated, you have to examine, examine what is in your lives. What is in my life that I'm spiritually defeated? And here will come the message that the Lord would raise up a man and he would give him a message that they needed to hear. And verses three and four, Samuel would speak. And this is the first time we see Samuel since the end of chapter four, where Samuel was a little boy and the Lord would reveal himself to him because the house the entire priesthood was corrupt. And the Lord would reveal himself to this little boy. And, and, and right here we see this little boy now grown up as a man. And this man would give the message of repentance. He would say say in two, two uh, um, parts, Repent unto the Lord with all your hearts. First part. And then put away the strange gods and the astronauts from among you. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you. Out of the hand of of the Philistines. Here we see the message of repentance. The message of repentance. It comes in two parts essentially. There's the inner part. The repentance of the heart. The part that nobody else sees. Just God would see upon your heart. He would see the condition. If you truly are repentant. And then there's the outer action. Where they actually would physically put these foreign gods and put, cast them out, and turn full-heartedly towards the Lord. So the the outer repentance is a result of the inner repentance. It's almost um, like a parallel to uh, James and Paul when they speak about faith and works. James would say, you have faith, show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. If you have faith, there's going to be fruit. There will be evidence demonstrating. It's the same thing uh, when it comes to repentance, If you're repentant, this is what's going to happen. You're going to put away all these other gods, uh, and you're going to just turn your heart full-heartedly towards the Lord. Uh, Verse 4, the children of Israel uh, did put away Balaam's and the Asherah and serve the Lord only. Notice the verbiage there. Serve the Lord only. It is very possible. As a matter of fact, the way Samuel words it in in verse 3 and and the way it's worded in verse 4, Serve the Lord only. It was possible that they in their minds had these gods for luck. And then they also claim to be uh, uh, Israelites serving the one and true God and, 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 and saying that this is our God. But yes, we have these other idols here on the side, maybe for help, for good luck. Uh, ba- Baal was a storm god. It was, it was uh, believed from uh, ancient Canaanite inscriptions uh, that he would control the weather. Well, they probably prayed to him for uh, good weather, good agriculture. Uh, the Asheroth was the goddess of love and, and, and fertility. Maybe they prayed for her just out of lust, but they had to put away, just cut that out completely. Reminds me of that passage in Joshua where he would uh, present himself before the people, his sign-off speech. Choose this day whom you will serve. We have to come upon that decision, Christian. If you're going to be have any hope, a spiritual victory, you have to put away the idols. I'm running short on time, so we're going to pace through some of these verses. They come to this place called Mispah. Mispah. Uh, if you don't recall in Genesis uh, in I forget the chapter of Genesis this was the place where Jacob named where he would be fleeing from his former master Laban his cousin, his, his uncle uh, he would flee with all this great gain that he had uh, in a sense with, with um, untruthful un, um, business one was trying to fool the other and Jacob outwitted him not the way the Lord would have wanted it so he's fleeing from Laban and, the, and then they meet at this place they call it Mizpah, So this is a place where there was separation. Jacob would separate himself from his former master and separate himself unto God. And God would then start humbling Jacob. He would take away all his gain from this business, unjust business. He would humble the man and the man would become Israel. There was this also the place of judgment. In John, Judges chapter 20, this is a very dark time in the, the, the time of Israel. Uh, Israel's history where uh, the tribe of Benjamin did some atrocities and the whole uh, nation of Israel will come to judge the nation of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. So this place of Mizpah, uh in a sense, Samuel is going to judge. He's going to start judging the people and there should be a place of separation. You're separating yourself from these idols. Christians, we need to separate ourselves unto the Lord. The Lord calls us to be holy. Be holy for I am holy. We are not supposed to be blending into uh, the world. Sad to see where we see that same scenario in chapter eight. Make us a king to be like other nations. That's not the Lord's plan, Christian. He wants you to be a peculiar people, a a, a nation of priests, um, something that's precious. Right. Uh, So they gathered the congregation in uh, verse six. They basically they, they, they symbolize. Their repentance by pouring out water before the Lord. Um, in, in Scripture, water you typically speaks of the Holy Spirit. I don't think this is the case here. I think this is uh, a symbol of them how they lamented. They were pouring themselves out, pouring their hearts out before God. In the sense that they were weeping, and, and this, the water would just signify how how lamented they were at this point. Um, a verse that um, I wrote down a verse. That that uh, goes well with this uh, passage in, in Lamentations chapter two verse nineteen, uh, interesting book Lamentation. This is what they were doing. The children of God were lamenting. It says, "Rise, arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord." And we have to come repentance. Sometimes us brethren are are. Sometimes boxing, we, we don't want to show too much emotion. We don't want to, we don't want to be of that mindset. But no, sometimes we, our hearts need to cry out unto the Lord. We need to, to physically show that emotion of, of, of spiritual. Uh, we want to get back to the right place with the Lord. We want to establish that fellowship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ once again. And this is uh, an, an act that the people were demonstrating before the Lord. Nonetheless, Christian, when you're getting right with God, when you're getting right, in getting back into Scripture, getting your life together, when you're uh, s- submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit, the enemy will always come. It's, you know, I always heard, heard it say that Satan doesn't bother those, those Christians that are very weak. No, he bothers the ones that are trying to, to do the right thing, trying to follow the Word of God. And immediately you see an attack coming. This is from their oppressor, the Philistines. And immediately the the Philistines will look upon the entire congregation gathered in one place. They're just ripe for the taking. They didn't learn their lesson about the God whose hand was heavy upon them. They would see the people trying to, to, in a sense, reconcile with the God. And they probably didn't like that. And they would see this as an opportunity where they are weak. They're, they're gathered. They don't have uh, an encampment of soldiers, and, and they would take this chance to attack. And the people would be afraid. It says in, in verse uh, eight, "The children of God said unto Samuel, Cease not to cry out unto the Lord.' Uh, unto Samuel cease not to cry unto the Lord for us that He will save us out of the hand of the Philistines." Now I want you to consider that verse. How different it was here. They're in a weak state. They're vulnerable. They have nothing physically in the, of themselves to save themselves. They are a people ripe for the taking. And you consider that in, in reference to chapter four, when it says uh, when they brought out the ark of the Lord in chapter four, verse, verse uh, five, the ark of the covenant of the Lord came out into the camp. And all Israel shouted a great shout in the earth. Shook The earth rang Wow What confidence they had They had the strength They had the right attitude They had the right formation They had the right weapons They didn't have God They did not have the Lord behind them They took in a sense The Lord's throne Where the Shekinah glory would dwell upon The ark where the Between the caribbean They would take his chair But leave the Lord behind there Leave the Lord back in Shiloh and they would go out with a chair and essentially and try to defeat the enemy and they would be slain that it may save us. You notice that verbiage over here it says, do not cease to cry unto the Lord that he, that he will save us. Amen. They came back around. They know what to place their confidence in. And the Lord would have a great victory. Now, those children of Israel, those those low lives, they should know better. They should know what the Lord did to the, the Philistines. They should have better faith. They shouldn't be afraid. Well, brothers and sisters, there's times where I'm afraid. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. There's nothing wrong with having weak faith. It's just the importance is the object of faith. You could say that somebody that has a very small faith, if they have it in the Lord Jesus Christ, wow. Amen. You could get salvation that way. Here we could look at, at, at uh, these poor souls, these Taliban, these uh, suicide bombers, these Muslims, that they have, uh, they have such great faith in Allah. And they, they think that they're serving their God, that they're willing to strap a bomb to their chest and go and kill themselves and wipe people out in the name of their God. You could say, wow, you have to have a lot of faith to do something so drastic. But unfortunately, their faith is misplaced in the wrong person. If you have a person who has just a small amount of faith that they place on the Lord, the Lord would reach out to them. The word is nigh thee. The Lord will put the words in, in, in your mouth. If, if, if you're looking to be saved, the, the Lord will meet you there. He'll reach out to you. He's knocking at the heart's door. So it's not the amount of faith. It's. The object where we place our faith. So we see uh, in verse 9 that Samuel, God would raise up this man, and he would intercede for uh, the people. Now, I I know we're running out of time. I do want to mention prayer, the importance of prayer. Samuel would pray for them in verse 6 and 7, 5 and 6, and then he would pray for them. Um, The apostle Paul would say, pray without ceasing first Thessalonians right that old apostle Paul he's wise unfortunately that was not an original thought he got this from the book of Samuel pray without ceasing don't depend on yourself pray to the Lord he will deliver you and Samuel would take a suckling lamb and offer it as a burnt offering holy unto the Lord now Samuel again this is a time where they were just so far from the plan of God that Samuel would be playing the, the, the role of a prophet, of a priest, of a judge. And the Lord would raise up a man in order to take those roles because the people were so far from the plan of God. And how foolish. Brother Brian mentioned in, in the Lord's Supper, how foolish does it appear to the world, the plan of salvation? How foolish is, is a man hung on a cross and how foolish might have it appeared to the Philistines. These people are gathering around one man and they're placing their faith on a lamb, on a baby lamb. They don't have their arms. They don't have their their ranks, their flanks. They're, they're right for the taking. Here rather than misquote the verse i'd rather just read the verse for god had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise god had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty the hymn writer would say through weakness he over hell prevailed through death he won the day Our uh, brother Malcolm likes to pray in the Lord's Supper. It's a beautiful prayer. He trampled his foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. And to the world and to the Philistine, it might have seemed so foolish that they're placing their hopes on this lamb and how we place our hopes on the spotless lamb of God to save our souls. And they would come and they would meet God, the creator. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? The Philistines would worship Dagon and, and, and Baal. If Wikipedia is correct, one would be the son of the other and, and Baal would be a storm god. Sometimes he's depicted in uh, ancient Canaanite uh, sculptures as, as, as somebody holding a, a little thunderbolt. Well, God showed them who's the god of thunder, who really controls the thunder, who really controls the rain. And he would go out and he would smite them. And then the people of God would join in, and they would smite them, and the land would be restored, and there will be peace. We're quickly out of time, and just worth mentioning, um, this is twenty years before. Before the, there's dear woman, one of my the most beautiful uh, spirits in the Bible, Hannah. She would she would lament towards the Lord. She wanted a son, not selfishly. She wanted a son to serve the Living God to be in a sense a, a living vessel for the nation to serve God and and the Lord would would grant her petition and and she he would come in a, a terrible environment and and and, and Hannah knowing that she promised that if you give me a son I will let him to the Lord all the days of his life and and Samuel it says that he would judge the rest of his life he was the last judge and look at Hannah's prayer if only the, the house of Eli would listen to Hannah's prayer 20 years before. There would be countless, thousands and thousands of lives saved, thousands of heartaches. The ark of the Lord would still be with the people. Verse 2, it says, there is none as holy as the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas didn't know that regarding the ark. The people of Beshemesh didn't consider that regarding the ark. There is uh, Neither is there any rock like our God, that Ebenezer, that, that that Samuel would set up, that 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 so far the Lord has helped us. He is our our rock, something we could anchor our soul in. Something that is, is uh it's it's worthy to put your trust in. Talk no more exceeding proud. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. The children of Israel were arrogant when they were going up against the Philistines. They thought they placed the, they misplaced their faith in an object instead of a person. For the Lord is God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. Uh, verse, tw- verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord are broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder. Thunder. Imagine that. This wo- this woman is it, prophesying. In a sense of, of what the Lord could do for us. But the people wouldn't listen to her prayer. How much... Brothers and sisters, how much heartache and how much pain and, 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 and hurt and time we, that we could avoid being lost if we just submit to the Holy Spirit, submit to the Word of God. Beautiful prayer. Um, we don't have time, but we're just going to summarize what happens in chapter 8 since it is part of the portion. So there's this remembrance. It's worthy to mention that there's a stone of remembrance. We remembered something this morning. We remembered our Lord Jesus Christ. How he would come out, and Paul would—I mean, a, a pilot would, would present him before the people, and he would come out uh, in a purple robe and in a crown of thorns, and he would say, "Behold the man." The man. When John the Baptist, and John uh, the Gospel, of John one twenty-nine would say, "Behold the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world." We have that Lamb. We have somebody that we have uh, this burnt offering that was presented before the Lord, who died once. Once. It was not a continual offering. Hebrews chapter 7 would say, he could save them to the uttermost. He ever lives to make intercession for us. We have that rejected king. And for that, we go into chapter 8, the rejected king. In a sense, that's exactly what happened to God, they were rejecting his rule. Yes, there's consequences to some of the actions of Samuel, a godly man. But he failed, as we all do. And the people would ask for a king because his sons were unjust. And um, the theme, in a a verse that you could apply to your Christian lives, a verse that you could make your own. Christianity is very simple. Our brother Alan Shetlick would always quote this verse. He goes, it's not hard to understand Chapter 2, verse 30. It says, Be afar from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me will be likely esteemed. These are the words of the Lord to the house of Eli. You honor your sons before me. In a sense, Samuel was guilty of the same sin. He appointed them as judges when he shouldn't have done that. They were unjust. They didn't have the great sin that Eli's sons had. But the people would not want them to rule, which was correct. But but their mistake was, give us a king that we shall be like the other nations. That's not what the plan of salvation is, brothers and sisters. We're not to blend into the world. We're not to be uh, conformed to the things of the world. We are to be a holy nation, something precious. The book of James uh, chapter 1, it says that we are to be the, the first fruits. We're to be examples of what the Lord, what God can do. In your life. And we're to be an example to the rest of the world. That we want to be like that. We want to have what they have. We want to have that joy. We want to have that hope. In this hopeless world. And then. um, Verse 6 through uh, 9. God protests Israel's demand. In a sense. God doesn't really protest the demand. Samuel protests the demands, But. Here. Samuel's pouring. Basically pouring out what God has in his heart. And, 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 and the Lord would say, Samuel, don't be offended. They have not rejected you. They rejected me as their king. But nonetheless, he goes, warn them. And here is a good example of the Lord's sovereign will versus his permissive will. They want a king? We're going to grant them a king. Let them learn their lesson. And boy, did they learn their lesson through some of the, the atrocities that Saul committed. Um, and we could say that it's, it wasn't out of the will of the Lord for them to have a king. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17. There's laws of what when a king is to rule over them. How a king should be. And compare that with this. What this, this king will do. Verses 10 through 18. He will take. 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 Do you want a king like that? No. That's not the way the king was described. The way the king should be. Back in the book of Deuteronomy. But how our rejected king. Was so contrasted. So so different. To the manner that this king was going to be. Our king. Jesus Christ. He would. Make himself of no reputation. He would humble himself. He would take the, the form of a bond servant. Become obedient. Unto death. Even the death of a cross. He would say, I come, the Son of Man cometh not to be served unto, but to, to serve. I want a king like that. I do not want a king like, like the one that's about to come. Praise the Lord that we have Jesus Christ as
0: our Lord
2: and Savior, as our Lord and Savior the one who can, comes, intercedes for us, who presented himself as the offering, as our spotless Lamb of God, without blemish, without spot. He offered himself for us. He saved us. He wants to rule our lives. And he gives all for us. And now, even now, to this very day, he's making intercession for you and for me. Let's look to the Lord. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the beautiful uh, attributes and, and pictures we could learn of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, how We would have eternity just to to get to know Him. And this is life eternal. That they might know Thee, the true God, and Jesus, whom Thou hast sent, Lord. We just ask that His name would be glorified this morning. In His name we do pray. Amen. Amen.